0: Hello and welcome to Eat, Race, Shower, Repeat. I'm Laura Winter, sports broadcaster, podcaster and cycling presenter.
1: And I am Powerforce former professional cyclist for bora hans This podcast will take you behind the scenes of one of the most successful world tour cycling teams of them all. We follow them as they take on the most emotionally and physically challenging bike races of them all, the Tour de France.
0: Yes, we are working with team title sponsor Hansgrohe, one of the world's largest and most respected bathroom suppliers and manufacturers, featuring beautifully designed taps and showers of the highest quality, benefiting from the finest in German engineering. For four years now, Hansgrower has been at the team's side as a reliable partner and together we will bring you exclusive insight from the team. The riders, the mechanics, the sports directors, the coaches and more for a unique look at the most beautiful sport in the world. We are now officially approaching the finish line of the 2020 Tour de France. It was the most mountainous race in history and the weather, be it rain or wind, played its part. But this year there was another factor as the coronavirus pandemic added layers of tension and drama we have never seen before in the biggest bike race on earth.
1: In this episode we will look at the build-up to the final three stages and the impact on the race.
0: And we will be speaking to lead-out man Daniel Oss on what it's like to help Peter Sagan fight for another green jersey in the sprints.
1: Plus we will hear from Sagan himself on what it's like to wear the green jersey, riding into Paris and how prestigious the final is.
0: And the riders will reflect on their memories of Paris, the inevitable joy, euphoria, exhaustion and disappointment as one of the greatest sporting events in the world comes to a close. Okay, first up, we can't escape the coronavirus pandemic this year and it was a constant threat over the race. All teams, riders and staff, were tested on the rest days. If those tests returned two or more positive results, the entire team would be removed from the race. On the first rest day, we saw four members of staff, luckily from four different teams, test positive positive as well as director of the race, Christian Prudhomme, We are wishing them all a very speedy and full recovery. Paul, what extra pressure do you think this is adding to the team staff and the riders? We have never seen anything like this before.
1: No, um, I really think it's a lot of pressure. Four teams have already one case in the team, so it means if they have one more case, they have to leave the tour. And it's not just high pressure for the riders, but also for the staff, you know, like... Even if you're as a rider like competing for the GC and you might be even in the yellow jersey, you still can or you still have to leave the, the race if some staff members are positive. So it's a lot of pressure. And yeah, I mean, the race is already stressful enough, but now it's also like um, off the bike, you know, in the bus, in the hotel. So you have to pay much more attention. And uh, yeah, it's a huge uh, pressure. Yeah.
0: Because I mean, on these rest days, we have people saying, the race could be stopped you know the chances of it actually getting to Paris at one point seemed slim you know in terms of how the media was speculating about positive tests and how many teams might be pulled it's kind of been on a knife edge hasn't it
1: yeah definitely I mean (laughs) you you're speaking more about like the corona uh, test than uh, the actual results because they can impact the race more than like a mountain stage (laughs) but yeah so far we're halfway through so, like, I think it looks good that the race will go on until Paris, and we will not have more, more bigger cases. But I guess uh, if everyone arrives in Paris and the race has finished, it's a big relief, and let's hope that's the last time we have to, yeah, we have this case, yeah.
0: Yeah, I never want to say the words coronavirus pandemic ever again. <laughs> in talking about sport, uh, we also spoke to Enrico Pojtschka, sports director of Bora Hansgrohe, about the testing procedure, the impact of positive tests, and the pressure on the team as well.
2: On the first day, was fifteen people tested, and on the second, eight riders uh, plus the staff. But not on the on the first day. It's uh, Always a difficult situation. We all know how important it is uh, that no one uh, is positive of the coronavirus. We have strict rules here in the Tour de France. All guys uh, stick to that rules, wear a mask and uh, have no contact to people outside from the bubble. And that's why we all give his best, but you never know and that why you have a strange feeling before the tests. I mean, uh, when we lose uh, a staff member, it's also very difficult. Okay, when it's a rider, it's worse. Though, but uh, the feeling is is nearly the same. You really hope that everything is fine and that uh, no one is positive tested. And we was happy that all the tests what we did here in the Tour de France all was negative and we can continue in the race
0: okay so the tour has made it and we are here deep into the final week let's take a look at those final three potentially decisive stages so stage 19 is another chance for the sprinters to test whatever legs they have left after the Alps and another day for Daniel Oss and Peter Sagan to pick up valuable points and potentially a stage win although it is a lumpy run-in before a descent to the finish Now on stage eleven, Peter Sagan's hopes for an eighth green jersey took a major hit as he was relegated from the sprint and lost a number of points in the process, putting him a fair distance behind Sam Bennett. Paul, we've seen a big battle with Sam for this year's green jersey. What did you make of it? This is the hardest one yet, right?
1: Yeah, I really think it's the hardest one. We had tough competition in the last, well, in recent years but this year you you can see he he's missing a bit of speed in the pure sprints and they have to change the tactic to go more for like the mid-race sprints but it also involves that they have to make the race harder and uh, that's obviously tiring the riders it's definitely more challenging than uh, in the past but i mean for for the spectators it's nice you know like in recent years it was always quite clear that peter sagan will win this jersey if he's not crashing but this year it's it's a real battle and uh, I'm enjoying it, you know, to watch it and to, to see, like, the the keep changing the jersey, you know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's been brilliant for us to watch. It's probably not been quite so enjoyable for the riders. It's probably quite a stressful experience trying to pick up points in those intermediate sprints and, of course, um, going for stage wins as well, certainly in the sprints. I asked Peter Sagan about that jersey battle and if he's allowing himself now to dream of wearing green in Paris. And this is what he said.
2: Well, I think every day some opportunity depends uh, everything from uh, my legs and uh, how it's going from the start. And uh, I'm thinking about green jersey day by day. I have no pressure. I already won seven uh, green jerseys. Then uh, if i going to get one more, it's just OK. I'm going to be happy, but we will see.
0: So he was a man of few words for this episode. Um, but it is interesting to hear that he isn't feeling pressure necessarily having already won seven jerseys Paul you know Peter what do you make of what he said there
1: I mean he's a laid-back guy you never have really feeling that he takes something too serious you know especially not himself and I do believe him that he feels like all right I have won already seven jerseys so why (laughs) kind of should I win the eighth one I mean he will make history with that uh, and I think he knows that and he is realizing that, but um, he doesn't put too much pressure on himself and the post-race interviews are always quite uh, fascinating with him and there he gives some really good quotes, which maybe sum up like how he sees cycling, you know, in his world. I think he, he still has the fire to like, or well, in himself, you know, to, to win this jersey, but he doesn't feel the pressure, which can be good, you know.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean he's taken this green jersey battle day by day, which is all you can do as a rider. And I guess that actually makes him the brilliant athlete and superstar that he is and that he's become, in that he doesn't feel that need, that pressure to to be extraordinary. He just is extraordinary.
1: Yeah, he's an uh, he's a massive talent, and he just loves to ride his bike. And I mean, you see the way he's racing, and also like the different disciplines he has done like throughout his career. I mean, he's just enjoying his time. But he says, you know, he has won seven already. But I really believe he wants his eighth one because he will make history with that. And how long gonna it take? You know, like to find someone else being able to even win like two or three green jerseys in a row. And he has. Won six in a row, then the seventh last year, and this year has a possibility to be the only one uh, winning eight. So.
0: Yeah, we'd all very much like to see him in that green jersey come Paris. Um, stage twenty, though, lies between the peloton and that infamous finish on the Champs Elysees, and it's now the mountain time trial, thirty-six point two kilometers, the final six k of which is up La Planche des Belles This could be a truly decisive day for the GC, the general classification, and of course, we hoped Emmanuel would be up there as well. Um, unfortunately, losing time in the Pyrenees and a. Giant- that focus to stage wins rather than the overall. But the tour favourites cannot afford to relax for one second, can they? This stage could be, well, it's, it's win or lose, isn't it?
1: Yeah, even for Emmanuel, um, it will be uh, an important stage because, you know, like he's out of contention for the GC, but it's another chance to challenging himself on like a time trial like that. And I think on a really good day, you know, he, he can perform up there and also the rest of the guys in the team like uh, Schachmann, Kemner, They will all look uh, how far they can go. But for the rest of GC guys, it's definitely a really important day. And I mean, so much can change there. You you can have a mechanical and it can all be gone. So it's a quite tricky day and I'm looking forward to see it. And also like which equipment they're using, you know, like if they will change bikes and all these things. It's a really interesting day for the fans as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's a really important point, that actually the first part is relatively rolling, it's relatively flat, and then it goes uphill. So the first 30k, for example, will be on a time trial bike, but then it's a decision whether to switch to a road bike for the climb, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, we heard already in the early episodes from the head mechanic that quorum might not change the bikes because the TT bike is light enough to go up there. And uh, the time lose for changing the bike is bigger than the gain you have through the weight. So, yeah, I will, yeah we will see how the, how the rest of the favorites will do it. But we might see, like, guys riding up there in, like, TT position, which is also unusual, like, such a steep climb.
0: Yeah, it adds just another layer, another level of intrigue and and tension for that penultimate stage. Just um obviously you're a veteran of the Tour de France and of cycling. Just how difficult is it to maintain the level of focus needed to get the job done on stage 20? Cuz we're talking about by that point 22 days from the start of the race. How difficult is it to still be on your A game then?
1: It's really difficult, but the first week of the tour was already so much tension in the bunch and like such hard stages. And and then the second week as well, with a lot of wind, small roads, like these kind of sprint stages, where, but where you couldn't relax. So yeah, it, it's even a more complicated situation this year. And yeah, it's it's a lot of hard work. But it's also like you try to prepare before the tour to be mentally ready for that, you know. So usually guys who are going in this race and knowing, okay, we go for the GC win, they prepare themselves like at other stage races to have like this this daily routine of, Doing press conferences and all these things, so I think the the top guys are used to it. But someone like me, who is going to stage twenty and just hoping that he arrives in Paris, you know, <laughs> um, you're losing you're losing a bit tension, yeah, and uh, the focus, and you're already going a bit in like a relaxed mode. Um, I mean, if you're a sprinter, you have to be focused on the on the twenty first stage and to Paris, um, which it's also really tough. But it really depends on like what kind of rider you are. But I was always Losing a bit of focus towards the end, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised. The mere mortals here listening will be very much feeling the same way. And I think this year has that added complication of the fact that they've had four months off the bike before this, four months off racing in the lockdown and then very limited build-up. There's just so much to this race. You mentioned Paris. We're going to have to talk about it. It's the final stage what is it like? Stage 21. This year it goes from mont les to the Paris Champs-Élysées, of course. And it's a celebration, isn't it? It's processional for the first part of the stage, at least. What's it like to
1: ride? Well, it's a really emotional moment. The first time I did it was in 2014. It was also the last time where you were actually allowed to do the do the celebration lap, you know, after the finish. So you could go with your whole team. And I even went with my little brother on my bike around the Champs-Élysées and you call there, uh, yeah, sheer to the fans, which was really nice. Uh, since 2015, it's not allowed anymore. But when you come into Paris, uh, to the Seine, and then you see yeah, the Eiffel Tower, then, uh, yeah, like just the Place de concorde and all these things, and yeah, you just get goosebumps. You know, like even 2016, my last time, and then my third tour, I still got goosebumps and it was such an amazing feeling to go up to Champs-Élysées, and uh, towards Arc de Triumph, And it's just an amazing feeling. And uh, But it's also like, you know, as I mentioned before, um, I was a rider who, who lost a bit of focus and tension. You're coming there and you, you're you just hoping, uh, hopefully that's a relaxed day. But then as soon as you arrive on a Champs-Élysées, the race just gets so hard and so fast. And on the TV, you can't really see it. But the last stage is so bloody hard. And uh, the first time I went there, Everyone told me, ah, don't expect it to be easy, and I thought, yeah, okay, it can't be that hard. But it was actually harder than I expected, and yeah, it's an amazing feeling, and um, yeah, it definitely uh, pays you back for all the yeah the suffering through throughout throughout the three weeks. Yeah.
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, what are your favorite memories of Paris with the team? Do you have any that stand out in your mind? Funny moments, or or how you celebrated, for example?
1: Um, yeah, also two thousand fourteen, we came to Paris. We finished with Leopold Koenig back then in the top 10 GC. So we were a small team and my family was there and was also the first time for them in being in Paris. As I mentioned, I I took my small brother on my bike and we just rode up and down the Champs-Élysées. You know, like straight after the finish line, we went over to our personal fan club. Back then, Bora rented like a tent just on the finishing straight. And we drank a bit of beer and wine and, like, you know, like... After such a race, it doesn't take much to be a bit drunk. (laughs) So it was quite funny, you know, we stayed there for like another hour at the bus and just was such a nice emotional feeling. And I mean, I really miss that feeling because it like, as I said, it really pays back all the the suffering, you know, you have gone through.
0: It makes it all worth it. How good does that first sip of beer or wine or that first like big greasy burger or pizza or whatever whatever food you choose to eat is how good does that taste
1: Um, pretty good yeah (laughs) i mean (laughs) especially especially the the first nip of like beer or wine was quite good and then our staff got some pizza and and you went to the bus and you just you just did the opposite of that what you have done for the last three weeks and it was uh, really nice and also for the head really good and uh, i really enjoyed that time and i think always the first time going to paris is the yeah, is the one with the most emotions, and yeah, that's also in my case the same. Um, after that, like the next two years were also really nice, but as I said, like we were not allowed to do the ceremony lab uh, with the team, so that really takes away such a big part of emotions. But yeah, still, like coming into Paris, seeing the sand is quite nice, yeah,
0: and the atmosphere. It, celebration, yes. Exhaustion, yes. Is there a moment where you feel a little bit anticlimactic, like you've reached Paris? Is there a moment where you say, "Oh, is this it? Like, is this all all that there is after three weeks of hell on a bike?" Um,
1: yeah. I mean, <laughs> at least uh, I did. Like the week after the tour, you're always like falling into like a bit of like a hole, you know, because you suddenly out of this race bubble and. You're not traveling from hotel to hotel. You, you're you not racing every day. It It's quite a weird feeling, but also nice, you know, like to don't have the stress every day, you know, because the tour is like on and off the bike, and especially now with the Corona pandemic, really stressful. We are just seeing the race in the TV, what's happening on the bike, but off the bike is also a lot of stuff to do, like press work Just in general communication, then uh, trying to recover, you know, like it's not just going to a hotel, lying in a bed. It's also a bit more. So yeah, it's a relief, but also like you, you're missing something, but also I have to add like coming onto like the Champs-Élysées, it's unbelievable like the amount of spectators there. There you can see why it's the biggest race in the world and why it's so important for everyone, like for the teams and the riders, because you're coming there and just like whole Paris is the Tour de France. You know, you're going out in the night after the race and just everyone speaks about the tour. And you, you know, even if you're a small rider, you feel famous for at least a bit, <laughs> you know. And it's really nice and I really like to arrive in Paris.
0: We also asked the Bora Hansgrohe riders for some of their memories of Paris as well. Here they are.
2: You know, uh, in generally, you come and finish Tour de France and come to the Champs-Élysées, uh, on the bike and they close all the square for us and roads, you know. It's uh, something beautiful, but maybe this year is going to be more sad without a lot of people, a lot of tourists, you know. But still, it's always amazing to
0: come to Paris. So we just heard from Peter Sargon there as well saying riding into Paris is beautiful very much echoing what you've said there Paul but worries this year won't be the same without the crowds which certainly could be a factor for that final stage Now his lead out man Daniel Oss has played a major role in this year's tour shepherding Peter to safety and hopefully victory in the flatter stages of the race We had a chat with him about his role the tactics and strategy in a sprint
3: my experience—it's uh, already long—and <laughs> in the, in the, in the final stages like this in a sprint. So I saw different strategy that we can use. I mean, uh, main strategy is like a big lead out, so a lot of riders going full, 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 like really high speed, and so you can make the bunch really in one line, and you can put your your man, your last man, your your, your leader in, uh, in the best position ever and in the best speed uh, that he can do just last like 100 meters. This is one, one of the best because. You know the bands can really interrupt the speed, uh, but for that you need a lot of riders. So yeah. you need a lot of big riders and keep the speed. Another strategy is like what we do now here, because uh, we have uh, more and more climbers. So I'm I'm here with Peter, and uh, we have to um, how you say. Uh, use the other, you know, you have to manage uh, the the um, difficult in the in the last kilometers. We have to be careful about crashes and all these dangerous points and stuff. So we have to arrive at the last 200 meters with the best. That means go and understand who is the best wheel and try to use the, the other team to, to follow and to put the, our leader in the best position. I mean, it's adrenaline. Everything is really high stress, especially the last 10k. I, I can, I can say because for sure we, with uh, a lot of riders that can use for the lead out is less stressful. I want to say it's like uh, more keep your position and, and going to the end. Like this is more dangerous because you have to keep energy, but in the same times, uh, you have to be ready to to do something, you yeah? uh, know. You have to understand the right moment. Mm-hmm. That's maybe the the, the most uh, difficult things mentally.
0: Paul, it sounds so stressful. <laughs> Sprinting sounds so awful. <laughs> what are your memories of it, especially that last ten k where it does get so dangerous and fast and and frenetic?
1: Yeah, it's it's not even the last ten k's. Um, no, when I did the tour, I guess it hasn't changed much. Um, it's the last 40 or 50 Ks. You know, sometimes you have days where when you're not in the front at like K40 or 50 to go, you can't make it. So I really had days where like, oh, bloody hell, we have to go to the front like back then with Sam Bennett and the team. And we just couldn't move because the road was so full and everyone, you know, was on the way to the front. The GC guys, the sprinters, you know, and then like even some non-sprinters. And it's just ridiculous. And uh, yeah, the last 10 Ks are just uh, mayhem. And even like, Now, it's not as much control as it was in the past, you know, you see less sprint trains, so it's really chaotic and dangerous, and it's really stressful, and there it's even more important that you have something like Daniel Oz, who is experienced, you know, who brings calmness, like, you know, into the final for Peter Sagan, and, uh, I mean, Peter doesn't need a lead-out train, he needs just one guy who brings him into the right position and helps him to save legs. And I think they're doing it quite well. Yeah, Yeah,
0: as Daniel mentioned, this tour they have deployed different tactics, of course, due to the riders they have in the team racing and their focus on the GC in the mountains. So let's hear what Elsie has to say about his sprint and lead-out rivals and how he chooses to race each stage.
3: I want to say that uh, we have to see the map and we have to understand how is the profile in the end. Because for sure, if it's a bit more difficult and, you know, climbing and a bit with small part with uphills road, we have to be focused on uh, not in the really big sprinters, you know, because, for example, for a really flat bar, really flat stage, we have to be careful about, for example, now Caleb Mm -hmm. is the faster, Sam Bennett, and these kind of guys that really can go faster than others. So we have to follow that team and we have to understand where they can maybe attack, or where where they can maybe put the speed at the limit, and that's one point. And the other, <clears throat> what I said before, is like if maybe <laughs> with a small bump or small uphill finish, we have to take care. For example, kind of guys like Vanherdt. So we we have to follow also the flow <laughs> during the race and during what we see during the race. Yeah.
0: And we also talked to Daniel about Paris, of course, the pressure of that sprint on the Champs-Élysées and the memories he has of finally reaching the Tour de France finish line.
3: Yeah, it's a bit special for sure because uh, Champs-Élysées means the end of the Tour, <laughs> means uh, the the last stage that uh, a lot of people are going to remember. <laughs> and for sure on, on, on the paper, when you win Champs-Élysées, you have something more on your palmares, and that's make bit stress. Uh, not more than other sprint, because you have to be focused anyway, but yeah, it's a bit special to arrive there and definitely could be a good win. But it is always when I have always one imagine in my mind, and almost is the same during all Tour de France that I've done. It's just the first part is really easy, and then Suddenly, the Tour Eiffel show up and that's the best moment.
0: Okay, Paul, finally from you. Uh, So much emotion is tied up with Paris and and that final stage. Can you just sum up what it means to finally reach the finish line of a Tour de France?
1: You know, like not finishing in Paris doesn't feel like we have fully done the Tour. I mean, I'm saying that uh, having finished all my free tours in Paris, so I don't know how it feels like to leave the tour maybe like on the 20th stage or 19th stage to a crash or being ill. So I was lucky enough to always reach Paris. But yeah, it's really important. You know, like it's there, the book is closing. So like you, for me personally, it was really important to to get to Paris. I remember like some years ago, like Tony Martin, he arrived at the 21st stage. He went into Paris and he finished before the Champs-Élysées. So literally like 60 Ks to go, you know, after like more than 3000 kilometers and he just stopped and guys have been crashing, you know, on the final lap of the Champs-Élysées and couldn't finish the tour. So that must be really hard feeling. And yeah, coming onto it straight there it's, and then crossing the finish line um, last time it's really nice. And it's just like closing the the story, you know, and I think it's really important to be there.
0: Oh, it's so emotional, isn't it? I can't wait to see what happens in the final few stages of this year's tour. That's it for this episode then as the Tour de France approaches the iconic finish line on the Champs-Élysées and Bora Hansgerer continue to fight in one of the toughest and tensest races in history.
1: Big thank you to Peter Sagan, Daniel Oss and Enrico Poitschke for chatting to us.
0: And a big thank you to you for listening as well. Please follow the team at the Tour de France on social media at Bora Hansgrohe on Twitter and keep up to date on the Hansgrohe channels at Hansgrohe as well.
1: You can find me online too at Foss 86
0: And I'm on at Laura C. Winter. If you've got a question, please get in touch and send them in. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode of Eat, Race, Shower, Repeat. And leave a review as well if you like what you're hearing.
1: Next episode, we will be exploring the effects of professional cycling on a riders' mental health and how they tune out the noise to focus on the race.
0: We will be looking at how they handle scrutiny from the media and stay motivated and how the team as a whole deals with the complexities of mental health in elite sport.
1: We will see you then. Enjoy the racing in the meantime. Bye for now.